What did the Story Geeks say was their most impactful story? We are about to find out. What's up, Story Geeks? It's Sandra Dimez, your pink-haired horror aficionado and uh, all-around weirdo. And we are on the Story Geeks podcast. We love science fiction, fantasy, and comic book stories. And on today's show, we have three Story Geeks hosts, Nick Duke, Priscilla Hernandez, and me, as we dive into our most impactful stories. For more information on the Story Geeks Network and all of our podcasts and blogs, check out thestorygeeks.com. And while you're there, become part of the Story Geeks Club by supporting us on Patreon. Thanks for listening. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. So let's dig deeper into our most impactful stories. Nick Duke and Priscilla Hernandez, what's up? Yo. Hey, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm the red-haired uh, host oh you're the red hair yeah. and, and and so i have you... no i have no soul and yet i love <laughs> <laughs> i was just learning to love oh lord <laughs> i have brown hair so i don't i don't know what that does <laughs> oh you're you're a normie all right i know <laughs> <laughs> well you know this is something that i think our listeners have wanted to hear from us and really it's what is the the geek story that has been most impactful to us. So let's start with movies. So first we're going to identify geek as being sci-fi, fantasy, or comic book related. Um, but there are also some kind of cult classics in there. So we might have one of those sneak into the list. Um, let's start with you, Scylla. What is your most impactful geek movie? What made it impactful? And why is it so important to you and personal to you? How did it kind of help shape your worldview? Um, so my most impactful geek movie is Iron Man, the first Iron Man. Uh, and there's multiple reasons why, but I think overall there's just this feeling or this recurring theme of redemption Mm -hmm. and not just within the film, but also, you know, speaking in terms of Robert I Jr.'s career, but I'll get to that, (laughs) um, where it's, you know, you have this character, Tony Stark for all intents and purposes, you would hate dislike yeah there's nothing redeemable you would think at Mm -hmm. first but you know after he experiences being in that cave coming out of it and realizing wow this is my legacy like what i thought it once was is something completely different and he wants to reshape Mm -hmm. that and change it um so to me i just think it i think seeing anyone even though they're you would think they're a terrible person. Even that person could be redeemed and end up being the face of a whole universe because without Iron Man, you wouldn't have the rest of the MCU Mm -hmm. and the MCU to me is it's probably just, it's my favorite universe, my favorite cinematic universe. Um, It brings so much joy and I connect it to a time in college that I was really struggling Mm -hmm. And it came out around the same yeah. time. So I think it it has a lot of impact to me because it opened up this other door. Because I wouldn't even read comics back then because I'm like, oh, that's too much history. But <laughs> Iron Man actually led me to want to read comics. Mm. So it just brings up so many different things that, you know, connects to me. Um, also, like I mentioned, the redemption arc reflects Robert Downey Jr. No mm. studio wanted to hire him at the time um you know and john favreau had to be hey like you know this guy this guy can do it give him the chance 
So I think it, that movie reflects that to me yeah. as well. Yeah, no, that's mm-hmm. yeah. And Favreau was a little not in the same spot at the time too, but like he mm-hmm. was like almost in director's jail <laughs> <laughs> after after Zathura. Yeah. You know, he made oh, that. he directed that. The, wait, yeah. after Zathura. <laughs> Zathura, I actually yeah. really liked that movie. It so did so I. Good. I've seen it multiple times and I love it. It's like sci- uh, uh, more of a sci-fi Jumanji. Oh, yeah. It was mm-hmm. awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I liked it, but it bombed pretty hard. And so, like, <laughs> I feel like uh, Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau really needed it. Yeah, Iron so work. John Favreau was in director's so. jail and RDJ was in jail jail. Jail, jail. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I see where you're going with this, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> oh no that's good or, yeah and i i think one one last thing even like marvel as a company as a whole in the 90s they were in the verge of bankruptcy so that's why they're selling all mm-hmm. their different properties and it's like well we don't have much left who do we make movies on <laughs> so it's like yeah. you wouldn't think iron man at first you'd just be like okay sure yeah. i but, didn't yeah i didn't at the time either like it it just it amazed me when I watched it because a lot of people hyped it for me and I was like, okay, let's see what the big deal is. But you know, it's, it's just fantastic and it still stands up even watching it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I remember going to Comic-Con in 2007, I think it was when they debuted the trailer Mm -hmm. at Comic-Con and I, I walked into the panel because I, it wasn't even the panel I wanted to see. There was a panel coming up after <laughs> mm-hmm. that I wanted to be there for. And I sat down and they played that trailer for Iron Man. And it was like, whoa, I care about Iron Man all of a sudden. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why is that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then went and saw the movie. And it's like, of course. Yeah. And then, you know, history from there. Yeah. No, that, that definitely, you're right. Like, we wouldn't have some of these films that might make other people's lists, um, we wouldn't have those if it weren't for Iron Man. So that's a, mm-hmm. that's a good one. And I like the personal reason why that um, affected you so much. Um, let's hear from you, Nick. What was, what is your most impactful geek story and how has that helped kind of shape you and your worldview? Yeah. In the realm of movies, um, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's probably mm-hmm. Star Wars. Um, yeah. Know, how can it not be? <laughs> Uh, from from the first scene in the movie, it's like huge, it's loud, it's dangerous, it's funny, and it just like, you know, it grabs you, especially like as a kid, when you haven't seen a whole lot yet, in terms of like film, or even just in life in general, once like you hit that opening crawl after after, you know, if your little kid brain is able to pay attention enough, uh, past all the words and the reading. And it gets to the the spaceships. It just like really like grabs a hold of you. Um, it's like I don't know, Star Wars is like a kind of like a second uh, religion for oh, my well. family. <laughs> it's like my uh, my dad kind of passed it on to uh, my brother and I, and um, he was just so passionate about it, and uh, he didn't really need to explain why because like we got to experience it ourselves he's just like this is cool watch this and we did and like you know we became passionate about it as well um and 20 years before galaxy's edge opened i made a lightsaber out of a broken multi-tool because it had like a base that looked like the bottom Mm -hmm. of a lightsaber hilt 
mm. and a cigarette lighter and some electrical tape. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, which I have a I have a picture oh, of. Oh, little show you guys. Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I still have it. I have it today, um, sitting next to my the second lightsaber I made with my dad out of uh, plumbing materials from Lowe's. Um, <laughs> yeah, that one's much cooler looking. Um, but I I really enjoy um sci-fi that isn't afraid to explore um not just like the like brave new worlds and technology of it all but um the spiritual side Mm -hmm. um and star wars has that in spades and you know there's obviously the force but there's a, a philosophy on what the force is and how it impacts the galaxy does it have a will of its own uh, what's the dark side? Why should we stay away from the dark side if it offers so much mm-hmm. power? Um, and the the characters in the universe are just, despite um, all this advanced technology and knowledge that's like literally light years beyond where we are now, um, they're still trying to figure out what like the, the purpose of everything is. And mm-hmm. um, there are those who claim to kind of have it all figured out and they're kind of clearly flawed and then there are those who uh look like they have it figured out but then you know you kind of discover they're flawed as well so uh i feel like star wars has kind of informed my worldview um by showing me like the truth is something that has to be sought after um it requires work and discipline and discernment um Mm -hmm. and it's just like there's so many great star wars tales um in just stories within the stories you know of in each movie um where you can almost make like a whole movie out of one little thing and like they've already started yeah. doing that you know? <laughs> well let me ask um, you both um do you each have a particular scene or a particular character who you feel has been most impactful for you let's go um let's stick with you for for now nick on that um yeah i'm trying to think of like a a scene uh i definitely like the character of obi-wan and yoda yeah resonate with me um just because like they they seem so they're they seem so wise and like they they kind of got everything figured out but um like George wasn't afraid to show that they like had flaws in their uh, reasonings and their kind of like decisions that they made in the past. Um, And this is like, you know, before, before he made like the prequels when we actually got to see those things like play out. But like, if you just watch the original trilogy, you know, like you're introduced to like these wise uh characters and like you're to you feel like you're supposed to look up to them you know they're like the ultimate mentors but then like they spend time talking about like where they went wrong yeah um in their lives and uh like some of the decisions they made that kind of led to where the galaxy is you know mm-hmm. at in that particular time yeah so, that's pretty trippy like how you're right you know you're you're seeing these wise sages but they don't messed up, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Big and time. like, we don't quite know the extent until we see the prequels, but 
but they messed uh-huh. up and and uh you know i think robot chicken does a really good job of kind of uh poking fun at the way that these characters are flawed and like the way they kind uh-huh. of twist even what they communicate to luke and like well you know from a certain point of view and it's like but you're straight up lying uh-huh. to him <laughs> so they're yeah. still kind of working it out yep. it's just funny but yeah like i i, I like that um Star Wars, uh, you know, isn't afraid to kind of show the more negative side of even like the most pure hearted of characters. And, you know, it's I feel like it's a really great reflection of uh, society and who we are as human beings. Um, The best stories do that, in Mm -hmm. my opinion. Yeah, no, that's Mm -hmm. that's good. And, And you have like you're what a time to be alive for you as a Star Wars fan. I mean, for all of us, but especially if that's the most impactful for you, you have so much at your fingertips right now um, that yeah. I'm jealous, especially when I get into mine, then you'll be like, oh, like you kind of have like <laughs> nothing. Um, so Scylla, <laughs> how about for you? What um, is there a particular character or scene that is most impactful for you? Um, there's two scenes in particular. Uh, one's more deeper. Other one's pure fangirl. <laughs> but the... The first scene is when he's about to exit the cave and, you know, his Mark, I'd say Mark Mm one armor. um, When Jensen tells him, don't waste your Mm -hmm. life, like don't waste your opportunity. I think that's just so impactful because even you have somebody that in all intents and purposes, you would think, oh, he has everything. He's so rich. He could buy anything he wants, but he didn't really have anyone he connected to. Mm-hmm. And he realizes that when he's talking in the cave with him and figuring everything out. So it's like, hey, I have my second chance. What do I do with it? How do I impact the world differently than what mm-hmm. I was before? Um, so it's a, that's just such a powerful scene. Um, in terms of the other scene, though, it's uh, the after credit scene. When you see Nick Fury and he goes, you're part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. You know, it's just so bold to do that, to plan out everything Mm -hmm. that it's just like, what? Like, what? There's more? We're going to have more of this? There's more. Like, more? (laughs) Exactly. Um, So that's the reason we wait for, like, towards the end of the credits or the after the credits. It's because of that. And just, it, it blew my mind at yeah. the time. Well, so, so though, and, yeah. and for you, it's it's what a time to be alive as well because you're gonna have Marvel Land or whatever it's called, <laughs> Avengers Campus. Thank well, you. It, it's Star kidding. Wars Land and Marvel Land. I don't care. You, no, you can't talk. I me know. Out I did the same thing. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, <sighs> y'all y'all got it easy. I'm kind of over here with not much. <laughs> Not much to celebrate my... Um... Yeah, I want to know what you mean. Well, yeah. yeah my too. most impactful geek story. So I'm going to pull a J and I'm going to have like an honorable mention. <laughs> 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 so my honorable mention, um, and the reason I'm I'm using it here is because we lost the, the episode where I talked so much about it. And that's the Lord of the Rings episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have the money to go over to the Shire, you know. <laughs> So I don't have anything. <laughs> I do have a map. A, a lovely friend of mine uh, brought home a, a map um, from Hop. A map of oh, the yeah, Shire. Hobbiton. He visited. I'm oh, like, ooh. thanks, mate, but take me with you next time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so 
that is my honorable mention, and I'll try to make this one brief because I have a, a bigger one um, that fits into the cult uh, classics. But um, for my honorable mention, it's Lord of the Rings. And um, what I love about this story really is um, that you have this long, arduous journey from a people who aren't known for adventure. They're small. I'm small, you know, already. That's kind of <laughs> relatable. Like, I do want to go on an adventure. I do want to be different from my people. But, you know, um, seeing this hobbit, seeing the smallest person be able to have such a huge impact in the world. Like, when we talk about mm. legacy and when we talk about, um, you know, really doing something with your life, um, this is kind of like the biggest, most significant example. Like you have someone who is like the size of a child able to save the world. Um, and all along the way, you have so many characters that represent so many different things. I think Smeagol and Gollum is so, they're so fascinating because it really is an outward um, representation of what happens inward in us where we have the Smeagol side and the Gollum side yeah. and we, we grapple with those and we might hear the Gollum side telling us negative things and telling us, you know, to be um, treacherous and to be, um, you know, possessive and, and, um, and spiteful. And then you can have the freedom celebrated when, when the Smeagol side lets go of that and actually embraces the good and um is is able to be you know bouncing around and and uh, excited and and almost a little bit joyful again retaining the the old mm -hmm. self um but sam is is the most impactful character for me um in fact i've been kind of just going through um, a really rough patch with um project that is sucking the life out of me and um, i feel a little bit like frodo <laughs> in two towers where it's like you know I, I can't I can't do this Sam and um that scene right there every single time I see it it brings me to tears because we all hopefully have someone in our lives who will will be that way but maybe we can also be that for someone where when they can't do it anymore that there's someone there to say yeah you know what we shouldn't even be here so Sam acknowledges that, yeah, like they, they shouldn't even be in that space that they're in, but they are. And, and he encourages Frodo. So he acknowledges that this is a terrible place and yet he encourages him. Yes, it's full of darkness and stuff, but there is, you know, a hope coming. And when that new day comes, the sun will shine clearer. Um, I just love that scene. And I love, mm -hmm. I love what that represents that we can be the beacon of hope for people when they're in that mm -hmm. space and you know what sometimes we're in that space and we need someone to be that beacon of hope for us and so that right. whole scene but this the story in general about how someone so small and um unassuming can really change the world um i love that story um so but that is my honorable mention <laughs> my um my most impactful story, and I think anyone who knows me very quickly will hear a Pee Wee reference. 
Um, <laughs> I love Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> and this is where it's more of a cult classic, you know. It's Tim Burton's first film. It's incredibly whimsical. I remember as a kid thinking, when I grow up and I get my own place, I'm going to have toys everywhere. I'm going to water my lawn with in the most ridiculous way. And, like, <laughs> it, it's just been such... Um, have a Rube Goldberg I machine know, like breakfast. Rube Goldberg machine, fetch me my pancakes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and I, I just, I love how ridiculous he is. Even like his cereal, he's got this giant fork and like just everything about him. He's so ridiculous. In fact, the other day I was riding my bike and I had the soundtrack playing. Oh, <laughs> that made, that made. <laughs> Yeah, theme. the main thing. And actually, that was my first ringtone when ringtones stopped being like so 8 bitty. Um, oh, yeah. That, so I just, I love um, Pee Wee Herman. I love how um, he's so extra in everything that he does. He's, mm-hmm. he's very childlike and whimsical. Um, but even when he, um, when he gets like his bike stolen, he's devastated. And then all of a sudden, everyone has bikes, you know, and like, it's just yeah. kind of like the, the ridiculousness of everything, whether he is excited, whether he is scared with these clowns, um, and, and like this giant claw stealing his bike, like that's his nightmare or whether he's mad and he's got all of his people in his, um, basement and he's just going, you know, exhibit A and like on and on. <laughs> down to yes. <laughs> the cable knit sweater that just keeps knitting um you know just everything that he does is so completely ridiculous and so over the top and honestly like that is the energy i i want to bring every single day it's just i'm in it 110 percent, no matter what and you know what i'm gonna fight for my bike or whatever it is that is precious to me um i will pursue it even if it's at some place that doesn't actually exist, you know, the basement of the Alamo. Um, but, but he's also, <laughs> he's also smart too. I mean, he's encouraging. Mm-hmm. He encourages Simone to um, stop having a big butt, but to actually, <laughs> to actually go to Paris. And she does. And, and I love that. I love that he has, he as ridiculous as he is, um, he has the ability to get back what he lost, to encourage people to pursue their dreams and to become a star, like goals, hashtag goals. <laughs> but I have nothing. I mean, I, I once tweeted him saying if, um, that, that we should be able to have Jombie land. I want Jombie land. Um, you know, Jombie's from a uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we have, we have nothing as uh, Pee-wee fans. But it would be pretty cool to have some sort of thing that we can give all of our money to, like a Zombieland or a, I don't know, a Francis ride or something. <laughs> Didn't he have a concert or like He's, a yes. theater performance? I, I wanted to go so bad. One of them was actually on my birthday. Aww. But um, I'm a bit of a cheapskate and, and it was more <laughs> more than uh, than I was able to, to dish out. But yeah, yeah. Aww. So that would be, that would be mine. That that falls into the uh, cult category there. Uh, I'm cheating both in in picking two and in and picking something that is 
a little bit off. But you know what? I'm going to be like Pee-wee and just do it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Pee-wee, Pee-wee would. would, yes. <laughs> what would Pee-wee do? <laughs> oh, gosh. Where's that bracelet? Where are going? <laughs> All right. Well, let's move to our next question. Um, so, Nick, um, we've already delved into, like, our most impactful movies now do you have a most impactful geek tv show and kind of the same thing like what made it um impactful to you yeah uh simpsons oh no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) sorry um yeah little joke you'll see what um uh mine is (laughs) mine's actually the most impactful geek TV show for me uh, is Batman the Animated yeah. Series. Um, it it came out um, uh, when I was very young, and uh, so like I like you know it was a cartoon. I glommed onto it immediately, but um, I really came to appreciate it um, more and more um, as I as I grew up, and um, it's just so different from any other like kids show honestly not just visually but thematically mm-hmm. um visually like they painted the show on black paper um to give it like a darker grittier vibe um and like the title cards are like so amazing you can hang them up on your wall like every every um you know episode title that came up there is like this work of art um i think mondo actually put out like certain uh animated series title cards at one point that you could get um i wanted to grab some of those but they're like 50 bucks each (laughs) um yeah um and then like they got incredible voice talent like mark hamill to be like what i consider a definitive joker Mm -hmm. um kevin conroy is batman i also consider to be the definitive batman yep 100 percent yeah, <laughs> 100% agree with that. Whenever, whenever I read a Batman comic, uh, I I hear uh, Kevin's voice as Batman, and I hear Mark's voice as Joker. Nice. <laughs> um, so the show didn't shy away from like tackling heavy themes like loss and addiction, obsession and revenge and vanity. Like they they really didn't like. Sh- sugarcoat things for children like there there's episodes that are like that have more levity um and like more like light-hearted kind of stories um like christmas with the joker things like that but like you know it was a show that showed you like uh like bane and his like physical uh, reliance and addiction to the venom serum and like uh, like the impact of like uh, being addicted to drugs has on a human being um and like the mad hatter learning that he can't make somebody love him you know <laughs> with mind control uh mr freeze taking out his revenge on gotham elite for you know uh killing his wife essentially mm-hmm. and like uh i think there's um cal- calendar girl like a, a woman with uh who always wears a mask because she has um like a body dysmorphic disorder you know mm-hmm. like it, there's mm-hmm. even like an episode about that like dysmorphia um 
and like she gets when she finally gets her mask removed she's like uh, like crying and covering her face and everybody sees this beautiful person but she doesn't see it um it, like it was a show that just kind of really resonated with me and it, like they like introduced me to aspects of life um that I like had yet to be acquainted with like it kind of like in a way like prepared me for like witnessing or experiencing some of these things yeah. in life um in like all in a kid's show you know and it wasn't like trying to be like this like edgy thing it still feels very much like a kid's show like you could if you watch it now it feels like a kid's show mm -hmm. um but yeah there's just so many stories i could talk about in that show i, I love so much i um you know i feel like it taught me to help people you know within your means um like obviously bruce wayne is a billionaire <laughs> mm -hmm. so like the means that he has at his disposal are like you know bat planes and bat boats and batmobiles and <laughs> gadgets and stuff like that but you know something something as simple as as recognizing people uh either like in a dangerous situation or um in a situation where like you can reach out and help even if there's like uh, some risk to yourself it's it's worth doing that um but yeah i just i i love that series so much and it it really if you haven't seen it uh deserves a watch there's some really really great stories told there mm. some stuff you look back on and go wow i can't believe they made that like on for kids television in the early 90s you know yeah that's that's one of those shows that um i'm gonna lose geek cred but you know like i never really watched it was <laughs> after my time um mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. i i hear that so often that that is people's favorite batman and you know i'm the weirdo with batman 66 as my <laughs> hey don't get me wrong i love batman 66 yeah. too it, like 89 batman was my first batman yeah. movie uh and 66 was not too far from mm -hmm. there um like i just, i love they all have something amazing about them that's worth uh a yeah. watch to mm -hmm. be appreciated and i think it's what you grow up with so i think i grew up more with the animated series than i did with batman 66 so that's why it resonates with me so much and mm -hmm. you know just being not really realizing it as a kid but how advanced and you know how intelligent the show was still mm -hmm. is that it's just it you don't see it and you don't see that in some animated shows there are other ones that do it but just to see it back then was just really impressive yeah the time that it came out was like this is bold mm -hmm. you know what they're doing yeah and like just even from like the style of the show it's like let's let's paint this on a uh, black paper mm -hmm. you know it's like why would you do that nobody's gonna be able to see anything <laughs> but like they made it work for me i i kind of struggle with this one because um you know i wasn't sure which which thing to pick with and i'm like you know i'm gonna just go with the the show that I always watch, that I always go back to, um, I've seen. I haven't seen all of the episodes. I think because there are so many, um, and there are some that I don't really care for. Um, 
because uh, they went to video versus uh, film, but that would be um, Twilight Zone, the old timey Twilight Ooh. Zone. Uh, Submitted for yes. your approval. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the Twilight Zone, and I know like it's not it's not a show that has the same characters, um, this the same even cast, but that switches roles. Um, although the, there are some characters who have been on multiple episodes, it's not like this running story. But each story, I feel like they communicate so many um, deep themes, especially for its time. Um, and some mm-hmm. of my favorites, you know, like Time Enough at Last. Um, I love that <laughs> um, as an avid reader. Um, that is the is that? one where um, the guy loves reading and his wife is always nagging at him, like, stop reading because he all he does is want to read. Like, he doesn't even – it's to a fault. He doesn't want to interact with people. And, like, at work, he works in a bank and he kind of hides in the, um, the vault to to read even though he's supposed to be working so again that's to a fault but what happens is like the bomb goes off and he survives so he's this sole survivor and he's like oh no he's about to kill himself but then he stumbles onto like a library and he's like oh never mind i'm good so he like stacks he stacks (laughs) up all these books and he's like oh this is going to be this month that month and then this year and that year he's got his whole future planned out and then he trips and falls and breaks his glasses and he can't read. <laughs> and it's, and I'm like, that is something stupid that I would do. Like I wear glasses. Um, I, thankfully I'm nearsighted. Um, so I would be able to read. Um, but, but it's just like this thing where he finally got what he wanted. He finally has time enough at last to read. But guess what? You're in the twilight zone. You can't read now cause you're blind. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like these stories that we get um that sometimes it's like this well there's always some sort of dark twist or a dark humorous twist to it um you know so that that is one very popular episode i think the masks is also another popular episode so we have these um cautionary tales so in the episode of the masks we have these characters who are terrible you know they're greedy they're vain they're whiny and they're just trying to get money from their grandfather or from the father um because it's like grandkids and the the daughter and son-in-law um and they're pretending to care but they don't really care about him and he's on his deathbed and they're really just there to collect their money and at the stroke of of midnight after having you know humored the the grandfather and wear into wearing these masks for the evening, um, when they take them off, um, they become who they truly are on the inside. Now their outward appearance reflects that. So they look grotesque and he, you know, he mm. ends up dying, um, cause his mask is like death. Um, but theirs are, um, a true representation of what they are on the inside. And so there we have that, that cautionary tale of like, Hey, this is, um, you don't want the the outward appearance to be it like the inward appearance is is what is important and um Mm -hmm. you know so we have all throughout the series different messages a very clear worldview you know things were were absolutely written from kind of a judeo-christian perspective so you see that come across when 
um, in the obsolete man where religion is mocked and the the man mm-hmm. who still believes and wants to actually read from the Bible, like he's obsolete, you know, he's, he's no longer um, mm-hmm. valuable in, in their society. Um, and even like when we think about um, our physical appearance and what we find attractive, we have that example in Eye of the Beholder where we have this woman who's mm-hmm. covered and you see from her perspective, she's looking, you know, from this, this gauze through this gauze. Cause she's covered. She's had this experimental surgery to try to fix her because she's so hideous. And if this doesn't work, she's going to go to like the Island of Misfit toys, basically where all the ugly people go. <laughs> and then when they finally, like all this tension is built and they finally reveal what she looks like, she's beautiful. And to our eyes and, everyone else is hideous they've got like giant ears and mm-hmm. baggy eyes and and like pig, and noses, pig noses right and like droopy chins yeah. and it's the eye of the beholder you know it's like that society says that this is what's beautiful so this woman who in our society we would say is beautiful you know everything's symmetrical and not droopy or anything but she doesn't see herself that way because that's what society tells her is not beautiful um and so you know we have so many different themes in there and I love that I mean even as a kid I was just always really excited to to like dive into these deep themes I don't know I, I think I was like very mm. intense you know <laughs> <laughs> so yeah Twilight Zone but yeah that Rod Serling yeah. man like I want to say he wrote pretty much every episode wow of that show I I don't know I don't have a imdb in front of me but <laughs> i i remember i remember i heard somewhere that rod serling wrote like nearly every episode of the twilight zone which to me sounds pretty crazy but then i think like tina fey wrote every episode oh she is hilarious but yeah um <laughs> yeah you know what it does say that he not only wrote the series but was also the face of it which we know um and the narrator which we know yeah um, and he co-wrote the screenplay That's for so cool. the original Planet of the Apes. Wow. Oh. This homie was skilled. Yeah, that makes <laughs> sense now. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no. So that's that's it for me. I mean, whenever I'm cooking or whatever, I'm like, eh, just put on Twilight Zone. Just keep kind of running through it. It's, it's what I do. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I love doing that, too. Usually uh, it's like New Year's I Eve. I know. Twilight Zone oh my marathon. gosh and it's like thanksgiving too it's new year's and thanksgiving and i remember like my my nina my godmother we were all like you know thanksgiving dinner and everyone had to go around and say what they're thankful for and i was a teenager and you know surprise surprise rebellious right so it comes to me and i'm like <laughs> i'm thankful for the twilight zone marathon and they're like god oh, sandra really <laughs> so she was very patient with me though <laughs> a saint um my favorite is the simpsons and there's oh. multiple multiple reasons why um it was gonna be batman the animated series hence <laughs> the, the, joke. The, the thunder <laughs> dome you guys uh, fought <laughs> yes no i just gave it up <laughs> um i think for me it's another show i grew up with and it just has a lot of heart and it has geeky humor and it has like random parodies that are fantastic and iconic jokes. But I just think overall that it's most meaningful to me because it's a family that 
by no means is perfect, but they work with the best that they can. And they show such a strong connection, you know, even though Bart and Homer are choking each other out, you know, (laughs) deep down that they love each other. And I think it's a show that taught me a lot of different, you know, topics or even just being okay and showing my emotions. It's an episode I don't think many people remember, but like from the first season, you have moaning Lisa that, you know, Mm. she's demonstrating depression pretty much. And, you know, everyone not really getting it or just thinking she's being over the top when in reality, she just she feels sad. And I think having Marge realize that and go and, you know, having her come up and picking her up going, you know, if you want to be sad, mm-hmm. be sad. I'll smile for you. You know, I just thought that's yeah. so powerful. Like even thinking about it is making yeah. me emotional because oh. as a kid, you, you know, you don't understand mm-hmm. that, but understanding mm-hmm. like, Hey, these are real feelings. And yeah. having a parent going to be there for you is, is fantastic. And I, I mean, on the flip side with the Halloween specials they're so funny and intelligent and you know just like with the the shinning you know like you want to you want to get sued you know like it's just like it's just it's unprecedented you wouldn't think of those type of shows at the time that you know it was meant for a mature audience but you know as kids we were all watching it um and just growing up yeah growing up with it I think has made it really impactful i can't say i've watched the the modern episodes as much um to me the ones i did it just didn't feel like it had the same heart but there's you know there's references to a lot of Mm -hmm. stuff there's a lot of satire in it which is great i yeah you gotta you gotta be like die hard to (laughs) stick with the show for what is it like 30 seasons yeah Yeah. you know and and (laughs) you're right like it 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 was kind of more mature humor but we're all watching it as kids i mean i had my bart simpson gear and um yeah. i remember seeing it in the movies as a trailer and so what was it i think it was onward that they had a, yeah. a simpsons short before that and i was like oh my god and i was freaking out because I was, oh wow yeah, really I was, I was actually gonna ask that uh, that did you guys get out uh i did yeah lockdown to yep. see onward so i didn't <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. That's awesome. I was like nerding out because it's so funny. Like I've talked to people about that and they don't remember ever seeing the Simpsons um, in movie theaters. And I'm like, no, like Uh I swear. And it was also, you know, in Tracy Ullman, the Tracy Ullman show. But, um, but I remember Mm -hmm. that and it's like, did I, did I just dream it? Like, (laughs) so seeing it before onward, I was like, I knew it. <laughs> it's a good short too. Yeah. No dialogue. No, it was really good. But it it's all visual. Yeah. And the Simpsons, I don't know. I mean, I feel like my my life could probably and many many of my friends are our lives are intertwined with some of these things. And the Simpsons and the Twilight Zone and Pee-Wee's Big Adventure, those are all things that, you know, it's very easy to make connections to in any situation. I and so many times you and I even Scylla have quoted Simpsons mm-hmm. um, you know, Simpsons episodes just because it fits, you know, stupid, sexy, whatever, you know, <laughs> and, yes. and uh, you know, here at saxophone, does that bleeding gums Murphy? I mean, it just, uh, it's just kind of a, wow. what would you say? 
Yeah. So oh, you're lost. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the Simpsons are great. And that episode, that scene that you're talking about with Lisa and Marge, that was that really mm. was a powerful, powerful scene because you have Marge who is, and we see later on, like how she is optimistic to a point that probably isn't healthy. Um, mm-hmm. But she was kind of exhibiting that in that episode where she's really trying to, you know, pretty much just hand her what she was handed. You got to smile. You mm-hmm. got to just suck it all up and bottle it up. And mm-hmm. and that was for that time, especially for a parent, for there to be a scene with a parent and a child and the parent is saying, I love you and you're sad and I'm not trying to make you happy. Like you go, you feel mm-hmm. what you're feeling. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that is such a, um, powerful scene for a cartoon, like. Yeah, and there's multiple episodes like that, even, um, I think it's from the second or the third season, Bart gets an F, mm-hmm. you know, like, he's not just some dumb kid that some th- people think he's like, I'm really trying, and you could see him trying to put that effort in, and just, like, feeling your heart break for him, because it's like, no, he's not just a, like, a troublemaker, like he he struggles with stuff too. Yeah. Well, that's those are all good shows. I'm I'm glad that uh we got to hear you talk about that one and and not Batman. <laughs> we're we're just going to keep pretending there was yeah. a Thunderdome. I think it's just more exciting that way. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Nick, you fought a girl. <laughs> you should be ashamed. <laughs> And this time I won. (laughs) King of quips. There you go. (laughs) All right. Well, let's move on now to our um, question about, well, we're going to look at geek novels, video games, even like a theater show. I don't know what that is, but, um, you know, we've talked about (laughs) film and TV. So let's start with uh, you, Scylla. Um, What has been the most impactful geek novel video game or even theater show um so it might not be as deep as the other two (laughs) but for me i'm gonna say video game and i'm gonna go with street fighter 2 and there's reasons for that so it was it was the first game i played as a kid um on the super Mm -hmm. nintendo and even though it's a fighting game, so you don't really think of the story behind it. It's just, hey, a bunch of people fighting. Who wants to be yeah. the champion? <laughs> um, it had Chung li which for me, that was the first female video game character mm-hmm. I ever saw. So I was like, it's a female video, or like, it's a girl video game character. <laughs> and she's actually pretty good. And she's cool. <laughs> I'm going to pick her all the time. Um and then as getting older, I would read the Street Fighter comics. I would read all these different things. And they each have stories, even though mm-hmm. some of them, when you just read like the the booklet from the original game, yeah, they're very basic and probably a bit stereotypical. But, you know, <laughs> going forward, they really developed them. And it just made me start loving video games by playing mm-hmm. something as simple as a fighting game that doesn't move that much. Yeah. Yeah, when they're like adding in when they when they started adding narrative, more narrative to video games and characters and stuff. I feel like that's where the video game explosion came from. Mm-hmm. Because then you have a, this personal yeah. connection 
mm-hmm. to these characters. It's not just like these uh, robots that have a cycling animation mm-hmm. that punch and kick. You know, it's like, oh, but uh, like Chun-Li actually comes from somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because she's actually a cop and her dad was a cop. And depending on the storyline, um, General Bison killed her dad. So that's why she's doing this, like, you know, trying to get revenge somehow. But you wouldn't know that at first. You'd just be like, oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> she kicks really high. I'm going to pick her. But, she kicks really high. you know, it was just like, it was awesome to see, you know, a character, you know, even not Hispanic, but, you know, seeing a female mm-hmm. character and being like, even if someone so, you know, I was like five being so young and being influenced mm-hmm. by that. I think it influenced my love of fighting games and just, you know, wanting strong characters, whatever, you know, strong female characters, whatever I can get them. Even mm-hmm. if it was something super basic at the time. Did you see the Street Fighter movie, The Rise of Chun-Li? Oh, we did not talk about that movie. <laughs> what movie? What? Starring Smallville's Lana Lang. Yeah. I... <laughs> The the thoughts I have and the comments are not appropriate, so I will not <laughs> say anything. Ears, children. The, <laughs> no, the the John Claude Van Damme Street Fighter though is a guilty pleasure of mine because it's mm-hmm. so bad that it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Do you riff track it? Like it's just it? nice. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I love my a God. good movie that you can like riff track to. That's just that's just the yeah. best. <laughs> it's worth it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause like yeah. why like having John Cobb Van Damme being Guile this American all American person is just how like how many times what? does he do Let's the splits? <laughs> Quite a few. <laughs> it should be like uh, um, splits and take a swig of soda. Yes, you know, <laughs> splits and soda. All right. Uh, so Nick, how about for you? Your most your most impactful um, geek novel, video game, or theater show. I dare you to pick theater <laughs> show. <laughs> they're all so different. Um, yeah. Um, for uh, not, I would if for doing novel, I would probably say Harry mm. Potter. Ooh, um, that got me like back into reading books for a while. Um, ironically it got me out of reading books too because the fifth one came along and I was like, this is long. (laughs) Too many words. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, Uh, for a video game though, um, I would say like the Bethesda um, Elder Scrolls and Fallout games, Mm -hmm. just because, you know, when you have big open world RPG like that, um, it usually leaves you to uh, you making your own decisions. And so like you kind of discover a little bit about who you are based on the decisions yeah. you make in the game. Cause like there's some people that go in um, and like, you might like them in real life and they're like these cool people, but then you see the decisions they make in a video game yeah. you're like hmm. steal from them why <laughs> yeah i don't know you so well <laughs> yeah so like you know there's especially in bethesda games there's like a lot of um uh, moral decisions mm-hmm. and like really difficult decisions mm-hmm. too usually 
where it's like you you're really torn between two things like do i do i risk upsetting this person or this person like what's the right thing to do you know or is there um uh, another option um i they just uh like the the stories like pull you in and like make you a part of it and that's what i really love about them um in a theater show, I would say uh, I haven't seen a lot of geek theater shows, <laughs> um, but one I have seen is Evil Dead. That's dope. <laughs> it's uh, have you seen it? No, but I just the, in my mind I'm imagining it, and is it's it pretty great? And okay. I didn't see I didn't see like the full like um, like original like Broadway mm-hmm. version or whatever, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, I saw I saw a performance of it um in in town and in it, town. It was great. They had like <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, I was gonna say my hometown, but it wasn't my hometown. It was uh, just town town. Hometown adjacent. <laughs> um at this theater. Um kind of like s- small theater. Um but uh like you know, they had a splash nice. zone basically. Like oh they're my saying gosh. like if you're if you're sitting in like uh, this area and usually you have to like pay more to sit in that area um but like you will get blood on you um and then there's like people that got like lot um there's like a lottery for like being um like these little animal puppets um on stage that like Mm -hmm. are outside like a cabin window Mm -hmm. um and they got pretty bloody too but like the the music is really great um it's it's so funny um they're like you know it's it really doesn't take itself seriously ever obviously it's it's evil dead and there's a song called uh what a stupid bitch (laughs) 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 and it's it's really funny um but and and there's a not not to spoil it there there's a, a a moment in the show where um, they see like the ghost of uh, uh, the guy who like this archaeologist who found the book of the dead um, and so like all the lights go out and there's just a light shining up on his face and he's explaining like you know uh, the all the backstory behind the the evil book of the dead and then like when he's done um, you realize that he's just holding a flashlight <laughs> in front of his in front of his face and then he has to shine it on the ground to like uh like navigate his way out <laughs> and so like they just like watch him uh, like shine a light like in front of him <laughs> like walk walk off set and then like the lights slowly come back up <laughs> it's so funny um so if if you ever get a chance to see the evil dead musical it's fantastic i i'm but, so disappointed um how did that how did that form my world do i don't well, know <laughs> i have to say i'm so disappointed that you have not described this show as groovy like come on nick oh, oh that's true yeah, yeah yeah that is that is that's in the show as well there is a, I, w- I would describe it nice. as groovy so actually. did it shape your worldview are you going to like summon yeah. <laughs> the dead or something <laughs> <laughs> probably um <laughs> that wow. is my favorite moment in this entire conversation <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so probably like in 
in the realm of game i feel like i've spent a lot more time in like the games realm so like for my my worldview i think it really um when i when i play these games like uh fallout or uh elder scrolls i find myself trying to make uh all the right decisions mm. uh and like as good as de- as good of a decision as i can like i'm i'm never really tempted to go just like full uh black hat you know and just be uh, a terror to the digital citizens of these communities and i I feel like it, it's kind of helped me like um, it, it, it's a reflect. I feel like it's a reflection of how I, 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 I really mm. am, I, <laughs> but I might not always make um, like those decisions in real life, but like in uh, at least in my subconscious, I'm like, I'm trying to do my best. <laughs> so it, it, it kind of um, is like a reminder of, of uh, how I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, mine, I mean, since you, since you shared a three, I think I'm going to go ahead and do that too, <laughs> but I, I won't dwell on them for too long. Um, so for me, I'm going to start with um, just very quickly. When I think of video games, like I'm not much of a gamer. Uh, Don't say pong. pong. I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean the, the one game that I got into a super whole lot was Rock Band. <laughs> that yeah. one didn't really count. And like, I might have taken the day off when Beatles Rock Band came out, and then beat beat the whole game, uh, same day. But anyway, um, I digress. Um, the only game that I got like super into, like the two games, but mostly just the first one, which was um, Seventh Guest. And it's pretty much just like super dark um, puzzles and riddles and stuff like, but set within this story um, in this like creepy mansion. And I mean, I got super into it because it forced me to um, kind of think outside the box when trying to problem solve and um, they exactly. I mean, like, you know, being scared helps. Right. So (laughs) (laughs) so i i just really like i would even dream about it and stuff so i that's like the only video game i can think of that i got super into besides like words with friends which like which it actually should be called words with former friends because i you know butcher them so badly they unfriend me forever um (laughs) but um that's like the only video game i can think of um a theater show oh my gosh if this exists, I need to see it right away. And that is A Taste for Love from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but I thought... I'm aware of it, but is that a musical? <laughs> yes, it's in mentioned movie? in there. Oh. So it's called A Taste for Love, and it's like a Dracula-themed rock opera. <laughs> so like a rock opera or... Yeah, it's just hilarious and the final song it's called dracula's lament and uh jason siegel is singing it (laughs) and and he's so sad because he like dracula's sad right so he's singing this song and then he's like die 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 i can't um (laughs) it's just so completely ridiculous so if that existed i need to see it 
Um, but that's the only thing I can think of, like, as a, um, a theater show. But I'm, because I'm a um, bookworm or a logophile or bibliophile, I'm going to pick um, and more focus on, um, and that was that was nicely put, more focus on, by the way. Uh, I will focus on a novel. Um, oh. Someone asked me recently, my what is my favorite book? And I, I'm still thinking about it. This was like a week ago. <laughs> um, well, you, I mean, that, that's got to be hard for somebody who's gone through like, was it, what was your record? Like 60 no. books a year? Wasn't it 160 books in a year? 10. 110. Yeah. I haven't. Wow. I like one year was 110. That was like a really bad year to where like, I just wanted to live in books. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I average about 50 ish books um, a year. Anyway, so yeah, it's hard. I only do 12. <laughs> what a pleb. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, you beat me, Nick, so you're uh, good. <laughs> no, you know what? No, I mean, I, I think if anybody's reading, that's good. Like, if they were like, oh, I want to try to read yeah. two books a year, I'm not like, I mean, and we're friends, so I can mess with you, but. In in general, I'm like <laughs> like great. That's awesome. Read two books. You know, if you read one, quality yes. over quantity. Uh, I'm I'm willing to bet out of those 110 books, there's probably a fraction that you really yeah liked. yeah. I mean, um, I but I will like force myself to get through most books. There are very few books that are DNF did not finish. Um, very oh. few books. Um, I've actually gotten to the point in my life where like I been more discerning <laughs> i'll get to a certain point and be like right. no no yeah. more <laughs> which like i've i've always been a completionist yeah. but like for some reason lately i'm like feeling like i'm gonna die soon oh why is know. that oh so, my gosh why ever would that be <laughs> um, yeah uh, same so um yeah i mean that that makes sense like i i usually try to pick up things that i think i'm gonna enjoy anyway um but anyway, so having to pick a book, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to pick two authors. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Stop pulling. I know. Jerry. I'm cheating so hard right now, guys. Um, but I'll, I'll focus in. So I'm going to pick Neil Gaiman and Stephen King. Surprise, surprise. I talk about them incessantly, I think. Um, and I love their writing style. I love the worlds that they create. I love the characters that they create. Mm-hmm. Um, and the depth that they go to. So for Neil Gaiman, um, his stuff is incredibly deep. And I know like when I borrowed from the library, the annotated version of Sandman volume one, every single panel is just rich with history and with um, Mm. myth. I mean, it is fantastic. This guy is so smart. Um, So I love, what he's able to do with all of that knowledge. He creates these worlds and he challenges our worlds. Um, in American Gods, for example, he is pitting old gods against new gods. And we see, you know, if if we are moving away from these old gods and like, oh, you know, that was quaint for back then, but we have moved beyond that. Um, but now we, we still mm-hmm. replace the old gods with new gods. We don't have like a really godless way of being. That's what we do. So the new God is like one of the new gods is um, media or technology. And, and that mm-hmm. is what becomes mm-hmm. what we worship. And so you see that like that God talking about 
this is the altar and the altar is the television, you know, and this is the altar where they sacrifice their, their family and their, their family time and communicating. And that was so profound. Um, I remember after reading that, after reading that scene, I was like, made sure that my family didn't watch TV for like, I'm like, we're not watching TV tomorrow. <laughs> and like every, every Monday, we're not watching TV. <laughs> like, and they're like, oh God. Uh, same thing when I was reading books on minimalism. They're like, oh, she's reading books on minimalism now. <laughs> she, she's torn the curtains down. <laughs> How many pages was that book on minimalism? It was too many. <laughs> they could have cut a few. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, with Neil Gaiman, um, you know, pretty much anything he writes, there, there are just so many deep themes there. And then with um, Stephen King, what I love about Stephen King, and I consumed so much of his stuff as a kid, um, mostly the stuff that was adapted, but he has such a dark sense of humor, like in the midst of mm -hmm. something pretty tragic, he just gets this like um, sarcastic little comment in there, his characters do, and it's hilarious. And it's exactly yeah. kind of how I think. It, that absolutely formed my worldview in like in the midst of, of uh, pain or um, sadness or just being overwhelmed, we kind of can't, or at least for me, can't help but try to find something humorous about it just as a coping mechanism, you know, because I mm -hmm. don't have um, the budget for drugs. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh <my laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's just that at, that has actually formed my worldview. Um and how I interact with things that are trying and that are overwhelming. It's like, can I find some sort of humor in it? Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I totally cheated, but <laughs> what I'm saying, Neil Gaiman and Stephen King, their collective works. Ha ha ha. That's my answer. Yeah. Well, I would say for sure, Neil Gaiman definitely is, uh, would fall into the geek right. novel yeah. category for well, sure. Well, and Stephen absolutely. King would too for a lot of his books. So he does have books, um, you know, like The Body, which turned into Stand By Me. That is, there isn't anything yeah. um, sci-fi or fantasy about that, but Christine, like that has sci-fi fantasy, The, mm -hmm. the Shining, Pet Cemetery, um, It. Oh my gosh, It. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, It. Um, I'm in the middle of right now, like literally like, directly in the middle of uh desperation mm. right now which is about a crazy cop who's just like pulling people over and planting evidence and then throwing them yeah. in jail not cool dude and, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but the, it's like something something like dark and sinister is going on he's like somehow it's like talking to coyotes <laughs> i don't know what's going on yet <laughs> I'm just, but yeah there's there's lots of fantasy in those yeah. stories. No, I mean he's his stuff is is great. That's why both of them have had so much of their content adapted into film or television because it's just great. You know, it's yep. super rich, so much to mm -hmm. play with. So those are my those are my uh, most impactful stories. Totally jade that list. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell him we're verbing his name. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, nobody wants to become I know. a verb. <laughs> I watched Kingpin the other day. I don't know if you've seen it, but when the main character, his his name means like just basically failing. And it's like, oh man, I'm months in that. He's like, wait, what? <laughs> That's my name. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> that's awesome. All right, well, that's it for today's show. Thanks again to Sandra for hosting and Priscilla for joining. And thank you to myself for also being here. <laughs> Um, so where can we find you guys? Oh, you can find me um, on Twitter at sand underscore rad and on Instagram <laughs> at sand underscore rad one because whoever took my handle, we got beef. So that's where you can find me. Or, or on the uh, Story Geeks uh, Facebook group. Yes. And then for me, Instagram is Skilla Love Stuff. And Twitter is Skilla Loves Pops. So there's a lot of, you can tell I collect figures a lot. <laughs> and also on the um, Facebook Story Geeks page. Yeah, you can find me there as well. And also Instagram um, at N underscore Dookie. You might want to spell that out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's D-U-K-I-E. Well, that's it for today's show. Obviously, I'm Jay Shear, not one of the people on today's podcast, but special thanks to Sandra Demas, Nick Duke, and Priscilla Hernandez for doing a great show. It was awesome. I, I really enjoyed listening to all of their most impactful geek movies. This was a series requested by VIP members of the Story Geeks Club to support the show and be able to vote on upcoming series topics and show topics just like this topic. Head on over to patreon.com slash the story geeks we still have most impactful geek movies and tv shows and other geek properties coming from justin weaver natalie guzman daryl smith and myself jay Shear. but coming next week to the story geeks podcast we're taking a little break to talk about some of our favorite geek tv shows and movies that show up on streaming services and i'm going to try to give you guys some hidden gems that you may not have seen or may not have seen for a while so don't miss that show or any of our upcoming shows subscribe today on your preferred podcast provider also special thanks to some of our fellow podcasters a few weeks back i started a just a really brief little update about what shows are being released on streaming channels actually it was started out as what shows are being released in the movies became once we were all quarantined uh became what shows are coming to streaming channels so just special thanks to the three different podcasts that are running that little short segment. It is the OC Drive Time Show, a great show for people in Orange County in Southern California. The Literary License Show, if you like, especially horror and like how the books and the TV shows or the movies relate to one another. The Literary License Show is a great show. And also the CG Social Show. So check those out. The OC Drive Time Show, the Literary License Show, and the CG Social Show. Check all of those out if you want to hear me talk about what's coming out that you'll be able to watch soon. Also, make sure you join the Story Geeks Facebook group. And also, as I mentioned earlier, you can become a VIP of the Story Geeks Club. Find out more about that at thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to all the members of the Story Geeks Club. Here are the awesome supporters who support us at $5 a month or more. Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Justin Weaver, Mary Baldwin, Wade Johnson, Jim Baldwin, Kimberly Lujeau, Monty Thigpen, Nick Prokop, and Connie Moe. We appreciate all the members of the Story Geeks Club, even brand new member Caleb Monroe, even those we haven't mentioned by name. If you would like to support the show by joining the Story Geeks Club and signing up for one of our VIP tiers, please head over to thestorygeeks.com. <laughs>